Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to the re-release of my very first JV Club episode, Christina Hendricks. I wanted to release this episode again as just kind of an acknowledgement and a celebration of the fact that this podcast has been going on for eight years, which is kind of bananas. Uh, And I had started recording it um, before that. Uh, because I had banked a lot of episodes before I even started releasing them, I really wanted to um, have a, a, a sort of library of things that I had already completed because I had this terrible fear that I would start a podcast and then I would somehow not come through with episodes regularly. So for once in my life, I sort of did things uh, not as spontaneously and, and with a bit of planning. And uh, there are so many people who were so instrumental in helping me get going eight years ago. I'm acting like this is some sort of award speech. It's 100% not. But um, just off the top of my head, I wanted to just thank people who were there at the beginning. You know, Chris and uh, Katie Levine at Nerdist and uh, later on uh, Aristotle at Nerdist and the people who just encouraged me, even though at the time I was like, oh, there's, you know, a lot of a lot of podcasts out there, which is seems adorable now. Um, uh, but uh, as many of you know, there weren't a whole lot of female voices in podcasting eight years ago. And um, I didn't feel like I saw that many female guests in podcasting, particularly in the comedy space. So um, it was really exciting to have a a reason to get going on something and um, a topic that I am forever fascinated by adolescence as the sort of glue to hold the premise of the podcast together. So um, people like Tig and Christina and Melanie and Connie, uh, those folks who had nothing to go on other than me pitching this podcast to them and asking them to be guests and asking them to be sort of vulnerable and personal with their teenage years, they helped so, 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 so much because, uh, you you know, I, I, I guess I could have done a crummy job and I didn't have anything to show that I wouldn't. So those that took a chance on me early, I appreciate uh, Paul Gilmartin, my dear, dear friend and former uh, colleague at Dinner in a Movie, who has his own wonderful mental pod, uh, helped me figure out my equipment and came with me to buy my gear and just so much stuff like that. So much love. Um, early listeners who took the time and care to put reviews on iTunes, which I still encourage you to do. I never ask uh, in any kind of regular way, but it's so, so helpful. Uh, and to just reach out to me and let me know that they were getting something from the podcast was was so important and meaningful. And I still have those emails. I keep all that stuff. So uh, it's just been an incredible eight years. Um, Chris Royce, what could I do without you? You are wonderful. You run uh, the JV Club website and the JV Club Twitter. Um, you have been uh, such a wonderful support and, you know, have become such a friend. And uh, ugh, there's just so much that I'm not thinking of. And I, I should have prepared something. But again, I'm really acting like I'm at an award ceremony and the orchestra is going to start playing me off so that there can be some sort of like crazy beer commercial coming up. So I will stop. But I don't usually acknowledge my anniversaries like very, very, very rarely. And this year felt like it merited a little something something. It also marks a little over a year at Max Fun and the Max Fun Drive is coming up. So uh, I also ask you to be generous in your contributions if you can, because they are so appreciated and it's such a wonderful organization. And um, 
Max Fund, where, of course, I am supported by their phenomenal staff of wonderful people. Uh, thank you, Jesse, for bringing me into your family. Uh, Julian, for being such a wonderful, caring, thoughtful, um, enthusiastic producer. And uh, again, it's just a great team over there. I will be talking to you more about that as Max Fund Drive commences, and we're going to have some really fun episodes those couple of weeks. But uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and supporting. And um, I'm getting emotional, so I will let you uh, hear the very first JV Club episode and uh, love you guys. Thank you. This is the JV Club. I'm Janet Varney. Um, <laughs> my guest for this podcast is uh, just kind of a wonderful, amazing woman who is a wonderful, wonderful actor and um, has uh, worked for quite some time. And you may know her for a lot of different reasons from a lot of different things. Um, many people know her from her role on Mad Men. Her name is Christina Hendricks. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, it's always fun, the first couple of awkward moments of, oh my gosh, we're sitting in my home, which is very uh, homey, but then we also are talking in a microphones as yeah. if we're doing a press conference and we're staring straight at each other across yeah. the table. and it feels like no one else is really listening to us. And, if you, and eventually someone will, but we're not <laughs> live, so eventually someone will. But if anything comes up and you suddenly realize, like, oh, you know what, I wish I wouldn't have said that. We can also edit it out. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So if you just have some yeah. sort of explosion of uh, curse words, because you just need to get that out of your system, <laughs> we can decide. You and I can decide later <laughs> if we even want to uh, include all of that stuff. Okay. Um, like what did you have for breakfast? I don't know if that doesn't. Oh. I've well, never asked that before. that's a good starter. And I have a really good answer. You do? Yeah. What did you have? I went to my girlfriend's graduation party last night, and oh. her whole family's Armenian, and they made incredible food. Oh. And I just raided it all and took it all home. Yeah. And my husband and I had leftover Armenian food this morning. So, so what delicious. was it? So what was what was it? Stuffed grape leaves Yum. and red pepper and feta dip oh, and vegetables yeah. and yeah. this really beautiful smoked meat with all these gorgeous spices. It was fantastic. Oh my gosh. That sounds really good. I asked you that today. question because I'm I'm hungry and I just realized <laughs> I love thinking about food. Um, I just opened a real simple that had a Nora, a Nora Ephron, Ephron quote that said like something like I don't know life wouldn't be worth living unless I'm always thinking about what I'm going to eat next, um, and it just made me laugh because uh, we, we plan entire vacations around food. I mean. <laughs> Food is so good. I know. Food's good, right, you guys? Again, thanks for listening to the podcast. That's it. Um, Also, interesting fact is the last time we saw each other, we were playing other people. That's true. So we we were especially not revealing information about ourselves. That's very true. We were at our friend's birthday party, and we did like a fun, weird, stupid murder mystery thing where we were all playing different characters. Yeah. And, um, And you were a beautiful Southern debutante. 
Yeah. And I was kind of mean, though. But you were mean. We all had a, str- <laughs> a streak of evil because we all had to be capable exactly. of murder. Please. Exactly. Um, and and you I were a fabulous was a French, French Canadian. Girl with a French Canadian. Oh, yeah. I tried to make her more twangy and brassy than oh, French. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit obsessed with Celine Dion's accent because it's so specific <laughs> and her cadence is so specific and it, I both hate and love it that I find every opportunity to impersonate her without actually saying that I'm impersonating her. I um, I can't keep my eyes off her when she's on my TV screen. I, I agree. just feel like something crazy is about to happen. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I'm not even, I wouldn't call myself a fan, but that doesn't mean I don't think she has it. Whatever yeah, it is. I agree. She's got it more than maybe anyone I've ever seen. She's in my really got life. it. She's got it. I almost made it sound like it was a sickness. <laughs> Oof, she's got it. Uh, you're totally right. She's captivating. She is captivating. Remember that white backward suit she oh, once wore? Yes. With like a very tall. Yes. She was like an Alice in Wonderland character. It was like ridiculous. A it was ridiculous, but but it wasn't. I don't know why there's a difference between her and Lady Gaga, but for some reason, there's something different about well, like. Yeah. I mean, Lady Gaga arrives in an egg. Yeah. So you're you're expecting right something quite right. grand. And Celine isn't always, yeah, you know she'll, she, that's it. She hasn't made a thing of trotting out crazy stuff. So when she does, yeah, you're like, oh, okay, this is, now this is another thing I have to process as I'm processing <laughs> the it that you have that I can't take my eyes exactly. off of. Now I got to process your suit. Yeah. And, the, and yeah. also the unapologetic presentational way she performs, like that's old school. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I don't know that I could ever be that over the top passionate about every note I was singing I if my life depended on it could I think I you could do it. if I had an entire Vegas theater oh. I think I could do it I would, yeah you probably totally grow you probably grow and stretch into that personality <laughs> yeah. as befits right you yeah. would just sort of oh my gosh um <laughs> okay so you were from Idaho <laughs> Celine Dion is not from Idaho. No, I'm from Arizona, and I've spent a lot of time in Idaho. I have uh, my family, my mom's sister, and her whole family live in Idaho Falls. Oh. And my dad's uh, girlfriend has a cabin in um, Driggs, Idaho. Shut up. I won't. That I can't. Is, this is a podcast. No, you know what? You don't I understand how many years of my life I've spent in Drake's. Really? No one lives in Drake. It's like population two hundred. Yeah, or it's tiny. Well, listen. Where is it? it her cabin well, is. Uh, her cabin is up. Uh, is up a little for you know a little further out from Drake's. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Drake's and Victor. I love it. Did yeah. you eat at the Naughty Pine? We ate at the Naughty Pine. No one knows the Naughty Pine. So you spent a ton of time in Driggs, but were you born there or were no, you from in Idaho? No, I actually, I was born in Tennessee, but I lived in Idaho um, starting in the middle of third grade, and I lived in Twin Falls. Okay. And I lived there until the end of junior high, and then I moved to Virginia. Okay. But I would say, I always sort of consider Idaho my home. I yeah. think it was where I was happiest, mm-hmm. and I still have friends there, and I like to go back and visit. Um so. Virginia, so Virginia for how long before you moved? Virginia just for high school, and then uh-huh. I moved to New York. Was it hard to move? Yes. For, <laughs> yeah, end of junior high, beginning. You did you yeah. begin high school in in Virginia? Yeah, and was really really happy in Idaho. Yeah, and that's where I started doing community theater for the first time, and had this amazing group of kids that were really talented. And yeah, we were in Jump Company, which was the junior junior musical playhouse. Oh, that's and, adorable. Um, yeah, and and you know we put on pretty good productions. Yeah. I, I mean they were really quite good, and everyone was really talented. And a lot of those kids have gone on, and are still in the arts. And um, so 
when my dad wanted to move, it was being yanked out of that, that sort of perfect scenario, you know, all these talented kids and, and you're discovering something that you're excited about and you're in this beautiful town where there's a lot of great family values. And then you're, and what took and, what what took him, what took you guys to Virginia? What was your what did your dad do? My dad worked for the Forest Service, mm-hmm. and um, he didn't necessarily have to move. He just mm-hmm. would be like, "It's time to move." And Roll, Pop was a Rolling Stone. How rolling annoying stone. that I would say that. Forgive me. <laughs> um, so then he liked moving around. He liked moving around, and um, so we got to Virginia, and you know, most people don't think Virginia big city, but for me, it was like moving to Fairfax, Virginia was the big city. And, yeah. And I went to school the first day in my Birkenstocks and my like weird tunic <gasps> outfit that I had yes, on. I love it. Which was very avant-garde uh-huh. in Idaho, <laughs> by the way. Oh, but you were and in jump. You were in jump. I was in jump. company. So you could do whatever you wanted. I mean, <laughs> people knew you were an artsy type, but you had talent. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it was supported in Idaho. You know, we only had two high schools in our town and when we did a when we did a production with jump company the entire town came out to see it at the college it was really supportive yeah and it was cool yeah to be in jump company then i moved to virginia and Tunic not so hip anymore. Isn't it funny how that? I mean, that really does. I feel like that's true of my my various friends I that I didn't know in high school that I know in the business now. And, and then I have other friends who were like, you know, you were in theater, so you were you were a total reject. But yeah, we couldn't you, even eat in the lunchroom. Is that true? So you really went from like you knew that that was what you wanted to do and what you wanted to yeah. be doing, and you went from where it meant a lot to where it was like, oh, it theater. was so strange because it was something that was making me so happy. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was so supported and it was so fun and I was a dancer and I was learning how to sing and you know it was just fantastic and then I get to Virginia to this high school and literally we're like shunned and I just didn't even understand it was just so the was it sports experience. and stuff that was yeah. that were popular yeah you know that's pep that's rallies what, and yeah, stuff yeah. So, okay, and I know you became a goth, so I want to get to that. But let me ask you really quickly (laughs) to put it in context. Who's we when you say we? Is it your mom, dad, you, and do you have siblings? I have have one older brother. We joke that Christina, the only thing she wouldn't talk about was whether she had siblings or not. (laughs) Um, That's Um, why we started laughing. No, I have an older brother, and and he's fabulous, and he lives in Los Angeles now, too. But we both did the theater together. Mm -hmm. and, um, And he actually finished high school before we moved to Virginia. Oh, okay. So he actually got that great experience yep. and he started directing plays in high school and he was nice. really, really great at it. Yeah. Um, so he luckily got to sort of be celebrated in that way. And did and he move with you guys, even though he was going to school and did you go to he did. college out there? Yeah. He, he went to college in, in Virginia uh, and continued to study theater and, and, and all of that. Um, but I, so he was, he went, you know, to a school that also celebrated it. You know, he went to his college. So, I was just very surprised and confused and didn't understand <laughs> why everyone wasn't really down with yeah. the theater. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's. So so you go. So you start school and you've got your tunic, your tunic, sorry, and your uh, Birkenstocks on, and you report to theater. Were the kids in the theater department? Did you still connect with them? Like, did you have a, a good kind of friendship with those guys, or were you? Were some of those kids also? Were you like, oh, you're not? It was a mixed like bag. Yeah. It was a mixed bag of people. I think that. 
the theater department always is. You yeah. Know, you've got all sorts. Yeah, we and have like stoners who just didn't want to do anything to like, like the, the, kids the real Renaissance come. fair kind oh, of group. Yeah. <laughs> to like a couple of guys like in my high school, I, nobody was really out. Like I don't I don't think of it as a as a I don't think of it as a restrictive time and I don't think of you know, the 80s and 90s is like, oh, you couldn't be gay in high school. But when I think about my friends who came out, they all came out after high school. And they yeah. were like hiding in theater, not out for me. Um, so I had that too. I had some of those guys and yeah. girls. Cause it was like I would a safe say three, haven, quor- three quarters of the, the guys that I was friends with were gay. And they were actually out. That's cool. There was no hiding some of that. <laughs> no choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was the girl who would like, go to prom with the gay mm-hmm. friend, you know? Mm-hmm. So I went to lots of proms as the... That's a, kind of adorable. <laughs> as the, the beard um, date. And so, A, lucky them. B, <laughs> uh, so, okay, so, so, but did you, so you still had some relationships. So you guys were shunned. I have so many questions. You guys were shunned and you didn't even go to the lunchroom. We didn't go to the lunchroom. We had a little nook that we sat in outside the auditorium where a theater was. And we had a very cool theater teacher who would write excuses for us to not go to the assemblies. Oh, that's awesome. I know. He kind of understood yeah. how traumatic it was to go to these things. Yeah. And um, he would just let us like study in the theater if we wanted to while, while other people were at assemblies. That's cool that you guys still have that kind of theater community, even though even if you were mildly ostracized for it in high school. Because I, I felt like I knew that theater, I mean, theater was like hugely important to me also in high school. But my theater teacher was like kind of just not present i mean we would do plays but if we weren't working on a play it really was like a free period we spent so much time in the dressing rooms like with the lights off telling stories and making out and stuff and like sneaking (laughs) cigarettes and whatnot and i just think to myself at the time that was like what was normal but there's no way our parents knew that we were in the theater class for six period really doing absolutely nothing we definitely had periods of that as well and my teacher was particularly interested in the technical side of things. So he mm. was really interested in getting money to like get the most expensive stage equipment. Uh-huh. <laughs> like we like I don't know why we needed these things. Yeah. And he was really funny. into stage combat. Okay. <laughs> so we would learn how to do that like roles sense. and yeah. things that just that have, makes sense. Yeah. You know, I've never used one of those by the way. <laughs> That's really um, funny. But but you know he was trying and he was good and, and and the funny thing about him too is that we would put on these plays that were really adult. Yeah. Like all my sons oh. or something like these very dramatic. We did Agnes of God. Okay. Like, I mean, all right. I mean, it's not your normal high yeah. school. Did you Shakespeare fair. stuff too? Or were you mostly doing we didn't, kind of contemporary? No. Interesting. Yeah. But these are the, the plays he chose and it, it was wild. Um, Agnes but I, God. yeah, I was Agnes. I bet you little were. stigmata there I in high school. Bet you were little rigged up system I had, <laughs> oh so the blood God. could oh, come out. Of course, the most expensive fake suicide equipment money could buy. Uh, I had like one of those IV bags, like taped under my nun's habit oh, that I would then hit. Hilarious! And, and then I'm sure, <laughs> as your teacher's like, I'm not concerned about the performance, but if exactly. that blood doesn't come out when it's supposed to, then my the budget I've got exactly. is not going to be well paid. I remember, I remember being really, really into that performance, and it was like very, very important to me. And in fact, when I moved to Los Angeles, um, my brother was working next door to a, a talent manager, mm-hmm. managed actors, and my brother said, "You really should meet with my sister. She's really talented." 
And he was like, yeah, yeah, everyone's got a talented sister in this town. He's uh-huh. like, no, I saw her in Agnes of God. It was amazing. <laughs> the worst thing he could have said. So in a way, of- Agnes of God got me my first manager hey. because he agreed to oh, take a did? meeting with me. Hey. And, and he was my first manager. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. Oh, my gosh, that's really funny. I thought it was going to be like, yeah, Agnes of God. Now I'm really never going to like, I yeah. know what that means. He must, it was a testament to my brother's personality that he did that for him you know and that you came and delivered and ended up signing with that manager i, I razzle dazzled him you did well you probably did a monologue from agnes and god <laughs> i didn't I, I had a meeting and i had like you know uh, a modeling portfolio and i think i'd done some some commercials and i showed him the commercials I and done. this was coming from new york yeah. to la I, actually to new york I, first in yeah, between no? new york i lived in london for a year and then oh. i moved to la um, so, so in terms of like dating and stuff, were you, did you kind of stay within the theater department or were you, were you dating boys from different schools? Like how did that go? I really just dated one boy and yeah. he, uh, I met him at Rocky Horror Picture Show. Love everything about that. <laughs> Love everything about that. Who was he dressed as, if anyone? He was not dressed as a character, but he had a long purple mohawk and his doc martens and okay know. so we have entered goth phase for sure by yes punk we were full on into goth when you were in idaho point. i know you to have worn birkenstocks and a tunic yes but see accurate? i did to me birkenstocks were not a hippie thing in any way we would wear we had our own i kind of did too like i didn't consider myself a hippie but i would wear like long gypsy skirts but then i would have like a like the police t-shirt or something like peter gabriel or like we had so few resources to shop at okay i would make a lot of clothes with my mom like i would be like hey i like those sort of um it was before mc hammer but i thought they were like these really cool sort of ethnic looking pants with the low baggy crotch oh sure like pajama pants kind of like hair on pants i guess i made them out of like snakeskin material hey don't mind if i do idaho yeah love and just it like weird you know <laughs> things that i'd find at the salvation army and yeah. then my Birkenstocks and a weird headband and it was sort of like a but that goes back to like like i sort i feel like t- i mean i'm from tucson arizona and it's again it's not like a hugely metropolitan city and i feel like there is from I, I remember a certain level of anything goes that i really embraced because I didn't have that much money. And I definitely had girlfriends who were, I mean, I for sure wanted a pair of guest jeans. Like, there's no question that I, that, you know, I'd be like, that befell me. Like, oh, I want swatches. I want, you know, <laughs> oh, to wear yeah, we two swatches. layers of socks in that when I was in junior high and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm glad that it socks. wasn't, wor- yeah, oh, fluorescent for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I'm glad that that was not, I'm glad I kind of didn't have the access to that monetarily and that there were so many kids who didn't there and that it wasn't like, living in Los Angeles or Beverly Hills or something when I was that age. Cause it, there was a lot of like, well, I'm going to raid my mom. Like my mom kept a bunch of her clothes from the sixties, you know, in a trunk. And at some point she let me start wearing them. And so I would be wearing like a weird peasant blouse. But again, to your point, not because I thought my, of myself as a hippie, just cause I was like, eh, this is weird. Yeah, exactly. What would happen if I put a bowler hat on top of this? Fantastic. I was far more creative in Idaho you yeah. know, and this is, I wasn't, you know, we weren't, we didn't have the internet. We weren't watching. Yeah. I'm like, I sound like I'm like, a, I know. I grew up in I, Victorian ages. I know. I, was, um, I felt like that. Uh, yeah, I feel like that sometimes. <laughs> um, I wasn't watching MTV. Like we didn't pay yeah. for cable channels and yeah. stuff. So all these references were like from other people you knew in town or because I was a dancer, a lot of it was about a sort of dancer look, Yeah, you know, yeah. um, and it was about what was on sale at the mall. Yeah. It was what I could order out of a catalog and get yeah. into, you know, Twin Falls. 
And it was this hodgepodge. And my mom, I would put these outfits together. And my mom would be like, you look beautiful. Oh, you look magnificent. She just was so supportive. And she just was. Yeah. Thought I looked amazing every time I put together some concoction. And yeah. Um, so really, you know, when I moved to Virginia and it, then it became the sort of classic mod girl and then the classic goth girl. It was just sort of reflections of everything I was seeing around me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was far cooler before I, I knew know, I what totally I thought was cool. That. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. All right, Adam. Uh, Maximum Fun wants us to record like a promo to tell people that they should listen to the Greatest Generation. You want to do that? No, I am tired of all the extra work. I just wanted to talk about Star Trek with my friend. I think it would be good to like try and get some new listeners by appealing to the audiences of other shows. Like this, this will only take a minute or two. It could be good for us. We sit down for an hour every week and talk about a Star Trek episode and make a bunch of idiotic fart jokes about it. It's embarrassing. If it got out that we made this show, I think it would make us unemployable. Adam, I have bad news for you. We have tens of thousands of listeners at MaximumFun.org. Oh my god. I think I'm going to throw up. The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Every Monday on MaximumFun.org. I'm really going to be sick. Mission Control, this is Rocket Ship One. Come in, Mission Control. This is Mission Control. Go ahead. We have incoming, and it looks big. Can you identify? It looks like some sort of pledge drive. Affirmative. It's Max Fun Drive. That's a verified Max Fun Drive. Countdown to Max Fun Drive is initiated. Can you project a time to intercept? Based on the current trajectory, Max Fun Drive will be here from March 16 to March 27. March 16 to March 27. Roger. Rocket Ship One, can you confirm a visual on common Max Fun Drive phenomena, such as the best episodes of the year, bonus content, and special gifts for new and upgrading monthly members? We have a visual. Great episodes, bonus content, premium gifts confirmed, and more. Sure sounds quiet down there. Mission Control, what's your status? All systems go, Rocket Ship One. Just catching up on our favorite Max Fun shows so we can tune into Max Fun Drive episodes between March 16 and March 27. Over and out. <laughs> I kind of, I guess even when I was in high school and kind of doing the goth thing, it was still weirdly stitched together from like you know, fourth out for us of fourth Avenue was like the area. Like, I guess I don't, I mean, it's not really like Melrose here cause Melrose is absolutely not that, but yeah. in terms of like, so like if, if you stripped away all the bullshit on Melrose and you, all the stuff that you hate and you would never want like the hookah stores and stuff, yeah. you're like, that's maybe one too many hookah stores guys. <laughs> um, and then just no have one like owns the, a hookah yeah, anyway. Yeah. Like, but like the Goodwills and the, and the, and then the vintage stores that are like a step up from that, that's sort of like, Oh, we specialize in yeah. you know, the fifties. And then, Oh, this is the only, no, you come here if you want a Halloween costume, but just once in a while you might find something you can use in, in the everyday. Yeah. And, you know, there's that little tiny little stretch in, in Tucson that I, that I had, but, um, but to get back to your family environment, it sounds to me like even though you moved, you had the benefit of your parents were together Mm -hmm. and that you, it sounds like they were super supportive and you had a good relationship, a close relationship with your brother where you guys were in doing theater together. Yeah. We shared this sort of friend group, which was nice. It was nice for me. It was probably, you know, get my little sister away from me a little bit for him, but, um, but I thought it was cool, and 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 I think I've always, because of that, had friends of all ages too, much younger than yeah. me, and much older than me. I think when you get involved in theater, uh, 
age sort of disappears and yeah. everyone becomes friends. Yeah, and, and that kind of tr- nice. that carries over here too. Mm-hmm. I meet people and yeah, I'm just getting to the point now where I I've, I have a couple of friends that I became close to without having any sense of how old they were. And after like the first couple of times we hung out, they told me how old they are, and I was like, I'm 10 years older than you. I thought we were the same age. <laughs> I mean, I really thought we were the exact same age. Yeah, I'm. I can't guess age anymore. Yeah, and I, can't I either. for years I would see like a goth kid walk by on the street, and I'd give them the old. <gasps> me too. Hey, we're in the same club. Look, and they'd look at me like, "Don't look at me, old lady." Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, he thinks I'm like judging him," and I'm trying to give I him the know. we're we're totally in the same school. I totally know. <laughs> I think there's something. I don't know if that's. true. I mean, I don't know if that's true. I've never really talked about this with someone who 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 wasn't. But in fact, I've, I don't really talk about this. But now that you're saying this, it just makes me wonder: Is there something about having gone through that phase, that specific phase, where you're like? Whether you whether you're thinking about it overtly or not, that, that if you're in this the space of like, hey, everyone, look at me, I'm bad, or like, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not reckless, like you. or I might shoplift, or I might like, even if you are or <laughs> not doing drugs, or are or not or not stealing, or are or not you know, just generally wreaking havoc. I'm dangerously you, different. You could, da- yeah, you're right. dangerously different. There's an edge. There's like a fuck you to it, and and this idea that you never like you hold on to that in a way that maybe you don't i mean maybe somebody who is like a huge jock who is playing football feels like when they see a football player they're like hey buddy you and me and they, and maybe the football player's thinking like get out of here old man but for <laughs> me and you what i relate to is that same idea to the point where i still feel like sometimes when i'm riding my bike in my own neighborhood like if it's dusk i'm riding my bike and i have this apologetic feeling like people are probably like what are you doing here like what kind of trouble are you gonna stir up are you First gonna steal all, something is blonde hair blue eyes i mean <laughs> sweet but it's be all, you know what i mean like it's some there's something that <laughs> you feel threatened once you've been looked at that way right. but i can't but i hold on to that on purpose too right. i think and when i see yeah. somebody i was just riding my bike home uh, I rode my bike to my friend's birthday party. And so I rode and like knowing full well that I would regret it because I knew I was going to come home at like midnight on my bike, which is not safe, but I do have a very bright headlamp guys. Um, <laughs> uh, and I was riding up through Ferndale up into Griffith park to get home. And there were a bunch of goth kids, like somebody had a mohawk and, you know, everybody was wearing black. I was like, Oh, I've traveled through time. It's somewhere in time, goth version. <laughs> And, and I was riding past and, um, and I felt like I, I, in my mind, I was sharing a moment with them. Like I'm riding through the park. It's midnight. You guys are smoking some joints. What's up guys. And then I realized like, seriously, I'm on my bike with my helmet, my bike gloves, my headlamp. That's like as bright as a car headlight. I'm sure they were like, who's that soccer mom for some reason driving her, riding her bike this late. Like what happened to her? off to play a tennis game or whatever and i and i do and I, but in my mind i could have got off my bike and been like what's up you guys i know every once in a while i've had people be like i bet you were a high like a a, a cheerleader in high school yeah and i'm like <gasps> how dare why you? would you ever that's say what i that. say that's what i say i never yeah i never wanted that i mean i'm not not to say that there's anything wrong with that i have friends who were the homecoming me queen, too but i just wonder but why I could someone never, would look at me and think I know, that i could never 
positive energy. But it's funny because I never would have thought that about you. Like I was not in the least surprised. I was delighted when you said you had been <laughs> a goth, but I was not surprised. Right. Um, yeah. That's why I'm surprised when someone says that. I feel like it. I feel like goth is written all over me still. Isn't yeah. That funny. It's yeah. just you can't shake it off of you. But it, apparently that's not true. For, well, I had a tattoo for uh, a really long time that's like two solid black bands right here. It's totally That I had gone. to get. Yeah, I had to. I mean, I got it removed. I suppose I didn't have to get it removed. But I did get it removed because when I lived in San Francisco, I mean, I had like short boyish hair and my hair was usually bright red. And, you know, I definitely still had like some... I don't know, whatever that alternative San Francisco thing is. And so I had this tattoo and nobody was surprised by it. And also lots of people in San Francisco have tattoos who don't necessarily look like they would. And then I moved down here and when I started working, it was my first, and that and that was in my mid-20s, my late 20s. So I really didn't, um, I hadn't been exposed since high school to that, like, where do you fit in the same, like, a cl- like clicks or, like, your type. Too. It's so funny, too, when you feel a certain way inside and, and you, you know yourself and then you walk into a room to on- audition for something and they're telling you what they see and it's yeah. so different. Yeah. And I had to sort of m- make peace with that. When I first started auditioning for shows, I auditioned for some sitcoms and I've always considered myself sort of the quirky, funny girl. Yeah, me and too. I killed this audition. I felt great about it. They called and they I'm said, sure we you love her. They said, well, she's too sexy to play this yeah. quirky role. And I said, well, why yeah. can't you be quirky and sexy? That doesn't make I'm any sorry, sense to me. I'm sorry, you can't, Christina. I know. Well, I didn't get the job. I mean, but it's true. really it's, felt strongly about that. It's really true. There, I think, and that's, what, and that's actually what, one of the things that um, made me want to start this podcast was like, I think, you know, if I were, when, when I was 16, I knew I wanted to be an actor. And, um, and even if I hadn't, I mean, all my friends who were into totally other stuff, like girlfriends of mine who wanted to be veterinarians were still fascinated by Hollywood or fascinated Mm by, you know, celebrity. Unfortunately, that sometimes, fortunately, sometimes, unfortunately, that's such a big part of our American culture. And I guess I thought, wow, now that I'm dropped back into this place where suddenly all that stuff matters and I have to kind of be mindful about how I let that affect my sense of self and my identity and really relating back to those times of like, oh God, it mattered so much or, you know, I didn't know, like, why can't I just be that Idaho kid again? Like wearing this ridiculous thing. And we were even talking about before we started recording, we were joking outside about, the purple hat ladies or like getting like these old kooky people we see at, at vintage fairs who, you know, you sort of the at first pass or depending on what mood I am, I look at them and I'm like, Oh no, like, <laughs> Oh, you're embarrassing me. I'm embarrassed for you <laughs> to a, another day where I'll be like, you go and you wear whatever you want. And we should all feel that way. We should all yeah. feel beautiful. We should all feel like we can wear whatever we want. And I, and, and that's what I, I, I would have wanted to hear. Like if I could have heard, and believe me, I'm not saying I'm this person, but you are. If I could have heard, you know, Madeline Kahn or Terry Garr or, or anybody that I looked up to or thought was beautiful or sexy or, or on a show I loved watching when I was a teenager, it would have really helped me to hear that person say, mm. oh, by the way, I totally, you know, still face yada, yada, yada. Or yeah. this person thought I was this just based on how I looked or this what you're just saying. I mean, it's so fascinating I, I that idea of like i'm sorry but you can't be both yeah it's interesting it it's 
And it's too bad because, like you said, you go to a, a vintage expo or you see these women who are dressed very flamboyantly or something. And I really, you know, you try to make sure that Hollywood isn't influencing that when you look at those people, they look fabulous because they feel fabulous. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that now when you see actresses on the red carpet and going to these premieres and events that it's so specific about what you should wear and how people are going to ridicule you. And you can't wear prints because that's just too crazy to wear a floral print. And you can't wear stripes because that's just nuts. Yeah. And it has to show enough skin, but it can't be too much because then you'll be ridiculed for that. And you really can show very little of your personality. Yeah. And you, it's this balance of, of, of feeling beautiful and feeling like yourself and, and hoping that no one's just downright mean to you. Well, that's, yeah. And I think, I think that's one of the things that, you know, you don't, that stuff evolves faster than maybe you can keep up with in terms of like people say, you know, uh, I'm sorry, but they're, they're in, you know, they're in the movies. They are, they're asking for it. Like that's what, that's the price you pay. That is so bizarre to me. Put yourself in the position where haven't you ever, no matter what you're doing in your life and whether you're in school or whether you're like, you do something that makes sense for you and the way that other people take it or the way it gets reflected back to you hurts your feelings. And you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily thinking about that because you can't think about that all the time. You can't constantly be thinking, how is this choice going to potentially smack me back when, right. when it's an innocent choice and it's small, like what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think, I mean, we, if, 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 if everybody who wanted to be an actor said, well, you know what, I'm just not going to audition for that because there's a chance someday this choice might lead someone to say, I'm an asshole who's never met me before. And then everyone will start to think that no one would work. You like, there wouldn't be television. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to turn on the television and see people who have talent, who are engaging doing stuff. But like, like, why couldn't you just wear what, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's very strange. And, and I think our culture has gotten so involved in criticism and, looking for flaws in people. And now with, with Twitter and with Facebook and, you know, a lot of these comments that are out there are, people are not being nice to one another anymore, whether it's a complete stranger or to one another. Yeah. And I know that these tools were great ideas, but I just feel like they've turned into this, this, machine of of people not having privacy anymore and people being able it's like the worst gossip that can spread in two seconds about someone i know and um and sometimes you think you're just tweeting something and and out into the universe and you don't realize that those people hear those things and it hurts your feelings really badly yes yes like i have had moments at home like crying on my couch because you know, who knows? Who knows if it's a 12-year-old in their basement or a producer down the road. But they're writing horribly mean things about you. And you're like, I, what did I do? I didn't yeah. do anything. I just went to a party in a dress. I know. It's so <laughs> silly. Know? And I think, I, th- I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think wh- what I would like and what you hope is that, I mean, it's such a double-edged sword. Or I, I don't know. I guess, it's, I guess there's two sides to every coin. It's not a double-edged sword because the good part's good. And I don't mean that a, a sword, I think, will kill you no matter which side you use. <laughs> Um, but I, what I like about, like what the, like what I like about even just doing this podcast or what I like about Twitter, what I like about the immediacy of 
you know, oh, you can follow Neil Patrick Harris, and and he and you can see the moment, you know, seconds after he said, "I love my children so much," and I just had to tell everyone that. To know that that literally just happened, and he's literally the person that just immediately communicated to that to, to everyone, is so appealing. I totally get the appeal of that, and I think the opportunity for it to be used for good is. It's so personal now mm. and it's so familiar and to your I mean everything you're saying it's so immediate. If anything you would hope and what I what I want and what I hope is sort of maybe the backlash to all of the negativity is it should it should remind all of us more how human we all are and that we are all people with feelings and that you're not a person that doesn't feel bad if someone says something shitty just cuz you're on a show and they've seen you in a magazine right. that there's that that degree of separation is non-existent like your life that doesn't mean suddenly that you don't have the same feelings you would have if you lived next door yeah, to them yeah and you're not sheltered from this information it's out there exactly. in the universe and people pass it along to you and you end up oh, hearing yeah. these things and, Everybody and you some, can't believe it you know yeah yeah i just it's and, and and that's so i think that's what i what I hope happens is that, that, that realizing that everybody's just connected in that way and that it's so immediate and that it's so easy to find out and hear everything that gets said, the dream, the fantasy would be that people would start to be more responsible about that because at a yeah. certain point they realize like, oh, Neil just tickled his baby's belly. And Probably I shouldn't say something horrible about yeah, him because, because he's a guy that's nice. Yeah, because and it's wonderful, and, and that's the kind of stuff that's exciting to read. But I think there's this anonymity behind it. Yeah. So you can say whatever you want with a mask on, and no one's going to no go, hey, that was yeah. really shitty for you to say that. Yeah, it's bullying. Yeah. It's like, guess what? You're a bully. And you can really do it. You know, without anyone ever knowing. And so I, that's that's the flip side to it. Yeah. You know, that's the bad side to it. And and like I said, I think originally these were really great ideas and, and can be great ideas yeah. and should be great ideas. Yeah. I just, yeah, everyone has to be nice to each other. I know. You know, everywhere. So be simple. nice to your neighbors. You know, be nice. It seems just, so yeah. simple. We all have feelings. And, and um, I think, you know, that's the thing too is, you know, for people in high school and, and all of that too is I can't even imagine how that must translate oh into the school system. <gasps> I what know. that must feel like when I such know. close quarters with one another, I, you know, be I nice know. to each other. I know. <laughs> um, let me ask you this, thinking about feelings and thinking about being hurt. I want to, I wanted to just go back and I don't mean to pry about your relationship, but I am interested that you just dated one boy, um, when you were in high school in Virginia and was he in theater? Did you say? He was not, no. Um, how, that's unusual, huh? To have like a long-term, a really long-term relationship in high school, or is it? Yeah, I say I mean, this as a girl who felt like she couldn't make up her and, mind. Like, you know, yeah. stuff. But, but you guys just... obviously had like a great friendship as well and like a really. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he is a great person. Yeah. 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 Did you feel like, did you, did, because you sort of had that um, fairly, you know, if you had a, a kind of a monogamous teenager relationship, did you feel like the pressure that other people might have felt about sex and all that kind of stuff? Or did you feel like you saw it happening more to your friends, but you kind of had a stability in a relationship with someone that meant something? Yeah, I mean, because I came from Idaho, I wasn't involved in that, Yeah, honestly. I'm not I, good saying I was. Yeah, but, yeah. I just, I, I remember moving to Virginia and being like, whoa, people are much more sophisticated here than yeah. I'm 
used to. I was weirded to. out by it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was like, I remember the first time I French kissed someone, I was like, I, for sure, I was like, this is super gross. <laughs> like, I didn't, I wasn't into him really, and it just, I don't think he was very good at it. <laughs> But the first few well, times, sure I was poor like, thing. "I'm sure he wasn't." I, I mean, he doesn't know. No, the guy <laughs> I was my first French kiss does not know they were my first French kiss. But, um, but like, I definitely was like, I'm doing something faster than my feelings need me to be doing it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, am I faster than my hormones need me, do, me to be doing it? I'm in a situation where, clearly, if I were ready for this, perhaps I would enjoy it. But. Right now, it just feels like, why is there someone else's tongue in my mouth? Yeah, uh, But, uh, you know, there's something <laughs> to be said for that. Like, if that's true, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can sp- say specifically that, like, I had sex before I should have or anything like that. But, but I do remember certain benchmarks where I can say, like, you know, I, w- I didn't enjoy it. And I, and I wish that the yeah. first time could have been something that, you know, even if it's just as simple as that or like when, you know, the first time I got drunk or something like, eh, probably <laughs> shouldn't have. Like, right. yeah, I was too young. I think you know? I found, um, I think uh, I was so sort of startled by the sophistication level of, of all these girls in, in Virginia that I found this defiant behavior. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I found a coolness in still being from Idaho. I get and it. So I just kind of stuck with that and 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 spoke about it, you know, and and said, you know, we don't we don't do that. In Idaho. Yeah. Good for and, you. And everyone, Good like for all my you. friends were kind of like, that's cool. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, that's what Carrie was talking about. Um, she was with like a, a super hardcore straight edge guy, and I had kind of forgotten about straight edge. Oh yeah. But like, there's that there's that piece of punk. Like I told, I, like I think I dated one guy who was straight edge, but. Um, but that's such a specific thing too. The idea of like anarchy, like you know, I've got I've got a mohawk and I'm wearing black eyeliner, but I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never taken a sip of alcohol. Yes. I've never had sex. I've never like like people who didn't like have caffeine or sugar. That and, was big uh, in DC. So interesting. But they all had shaved heads. Yeah. And then when does that become like, oh, and, no, you're just a straight head, like yeah. a skinhead, like a yeah. straight edge skinhead? Uh oh. They all had shaved heads and knee high ox blood. Doc Martens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all look like skinheads. But... I couldn't afford real Doc Martens. I had fake ones. I still have my first pair That's because great. I had to save up so much money for it. And I had like, I didn't have the last $3 or something. And I stood out on the street in Georgetown and panhandled the last three bucks to get, wow. <laughs> to get my first pair. That's how it should be. If you got to get your docs yeah. that way, that's So I gorgeous. still have them in my closet because one, they're comfortable and they still fit. Um, but you know, it was, it was a big deal to save up for that. Yeah. My they first were job, my first job, um, the very first thing I did with my first paycheck is I went and bought a leather jacket, leather motorcycle jacket at Wilson's leather oh, in the mall. Yes. You and I had, had it say, until you really a had month to save ago up for that. Oh, I don't keep stuff. I'm bad with that. I I don't keep a lot I mean, of things. I'm not but suggesting those that were you're quite hoarder, sentimental. Yeah. yeah. Because my parents were like, "You will not wear that motorcycle jacket. You will not." And I was like, "Yes, yeah. I will. It's my money, and I've got a job." So uh, I really fought for that motorcycle. Yeah. Jacket. I'm so glad you kept that, and I love that you kept your docs too. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was um, just sifting through my closet the other day, and I picked them up periodically, and I'm like. Should I get rid of them? And I'm like, nah, they don't take up much I gotta space. Hang What's the on harm? To them. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. And then where did you go to college? I didn't. You go didn't to go college. to college. That's right. I, New yeah. York. I went straight to New York. Yeah, and yeah. Started modeling at the time. Yeah. yeah. 
I feel like I u- I used college as a thing to just like protect me from doing what I really wanted to be doing. I don't know that I used it as like right. This is about my education. I was like, oh, I'm not ready to well, do anything but go to college. I I sometimes am embarrassed that I didn't go. I sometimes I don't think there's any reason um, for that. Regret um, that, but at the time I was having such a hard time in high school. And and was just really unhappy. And, in terms of academically, or just uh, in terms no, of no, like, actually, I was a really good student. Yeah. Um, uh, but just socially, I was just very depressed, and 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 didn't like the way people acted in yeah. school, and just felt really sad. And and it kind of spoiled it for me. I just wanted to get out of a a sort of place where I felt ridiculed. Yeah. And to me, school represented that at the time. And I had auditions. See, when for... you, I'm surprised because I'm only surprised because I, I, I've now have this image of you being this stalwart. Like, listen, I'm from Idaho, and like you were a goth, and you were cool, <laughs> and you had a cool boyfriend, and you had good friends. So I guess in my mind, I was like, oh, she had a great high, high school experience, but you, but you felt well, depressed. I, well, I was, I stood firm in all those yeah. things, but it was hard. Yeah. You know, it was hard. And, and, and I, I'm an, a very emotional person. So yeah. even if something wasn't happening directly to me, there were a lot of fights in my school, kids getting yeah. beat up. There was a lot of uh, race tension in I was going to ask about that because you were in Virginia. Yeah. Not, I mean, two sons like that too. There's yeah. like a lot of... And so it was, even if it wasn't happening directly to me, it was happening all around me. Yeah. And it was very upsetting. Yeah. It was an upsetting environment. Yeah. And... Um, and, uh, and it's weird when you feel trapped in that environment, like that helplessness yeah. of being that age. And I remember thinking so many times, like the difference between somebody who does drop out of high school or somebody who really like I still whatever. And I joke about with Paul sometimes like the, the, that I was a people pleaser is probably what kept me from rebelling more and giving more into my depression, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day as much as I tried to skip class or as much as I tried to fake sick so I didn't have to go to school and as miserable as I was about certain things, I was also so terrified of doing a bad job that yeah, I was like too. still a good student, which me was too. even worse. Cause then I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm miserable. And I, you know, and I would get up and then I would, I would wake up with just crippling depression in the morning. Like I can't, I don't know how I'm going to go. Yeah. And so many times my poor sweet dad, I'm sorry, dad, if you're listening to this, you probably knew when I was faking, but I would be like, cause my dad was a single father raising me. I would be like, I have such bad cramps, dad. Oh, yeah, and he trusted that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so I would, at least I would get out of like the first two periods of school. And it really wasn't that I was like out to just sleep in. I was like, ah, oh, whatever, dad. I literally was depressed. Yeah. I mean, I literally was like, I, I'm crying thinking about getting out of bed right now and I just need someone to tell me I don't have to go right now. And I still have dreams about not wanting to go to high school. I have dreams like of waking up in the morning at home and being like, oh God, I don't want to go. Don't make me go. (laughs) And now you don't have to. And now I don't have to. So, you know, going to college for me was like, honestly, for me, it was a a way of moving out of Tucson because I knew I wanted to have a different experience. But it sounds like you went ahead and went to New York and kind of took that plunge. Well, I had these two options. You know, I had pre-auditioned for the theater department at Virginia Commonwealth University and I had already been accepted to the school with, with, with my test scores and, mm-hmm. and my grades and everything. So I had a slot open and, and it was ready to go. But I had a lot of friends um, who had already started to go to the school and they were in the theater department and I thought, I, I just don't feel like this is getting me where I want to be eventually. Yeah. And I had this opportunity to move to New York and start modeling. And although modeling wasn't my idea of what 
career I was starting, it gave me an opportunity to move to New York City mm-hmm. to start to travel internationally, which I'd never done. It was yeah. so exciting and edu- an education in itself. And um, I just thought, gosh, I just feel like if I move to New York, yeah, there's going to be more opportunity there than in Richmond, Virginia. Sure. And um, I could have been wrong. I could have ended up in the same place in the end. It would have been a different route. Mm-hmm. But um, that's the one I took, and, and it was great for me. And like I said, it, it allowed me to travel, which mm-hmm. was really exciting. Did you ever and, feel scared about, I mean, in terms of moving to New York, knowing that when you look and kind of see, oh, here's this room for opportunity, that's exciting. But for someone like me, when I was your age, I tell you right now, I would be too afraid. I, I mean, terrified. I'm so impre- I'm so impressed that you worked through that. And I'm interested in what you told yourself or how you kind of worked through that or whether you had a support system of friends or parents. I just, because I feel like my dad t- thought I could do anything. So it's not like it's his fault. I mean, I had his support. He thought I should move to LA. You know, he wanted me to go to a Carnegie Mellon or he, I mean, he wanted me to do whatever I wanted, but he was fully prepared to imagine me getting like trying to be in show business from a really young age, even if that meant no college. And I was really supported in that way, but I just didn't believe in, I guess I just didn't believe whether in myself or I was just too afraid of, even if I thought I was good enough, I was afraid everybody else would make me feel bad about myself because I knew what it felt like to feel bad about myself or to feel judged. And I was like, I don't want any more of that. I think it was a couple things. I think one, it was, I was going into unknown territory. I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't know what to be scared of. Yeah. But when I got to New York, I was terrified. I remember standing in Grand Central Station uh, with my mom trying to figure out, you know, at the time it was still the tokens used for the for the subway and just people whizzing by me at such yeah. a pace that I yeah. just, I remember being like, oh gosh, I'm in the way, I'm in the way. How do I get out of the way and how do I get onto that train? I yeah. don't know. And, and I was scared and I went home to Virginia and I said, I, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. And it, was another three months, and I thought, but I can't do this either. I can't. Yeah. I think it was the choice was what's scarier, New York and the unknown, or Virginia, and this is it. This is, yeah. you know, I know yeah. what's here. So that became scarier to me. Yeah. So I decided to go ahead and go. And, and I, I would, I would come home almost every weekend. I'd take the bus home, and, um, you know, I just need to sort of drive out into the country and just get a little country vibe. And then I sure. get on the, the bus and go back to, to New York. And I would stop on the street sometimes. You know, I always had my little headphones in so I couldn't hear what people were screaming at me on the street. And and um, I would stop and look around me every once in a while and just reach up and pat myself on the back and be like, you're okay. That's you're okay. So you're doing though. it. You that's know, so okay. important. I think that's something that I wish someone had. I mean, I, I, I people other than my mom or, or, you know, I would, I would have loved to have had that resource. I feel like I got so much out of like <laughs> sassy magazine when I was a teenager oh, because it was so, that. it just made me feel so like, <laughs> Oh, I like, like the self empowerment was so important. And I felt like I got, I think I relied so heavily on other people to tell me I was good or I was okay mm. or whatever. And which is weird because when you're an only child, you would think that you would build up more like only child from divorced parents. Like I would build up a little bit stronger metal, but, um, I don't think I would have been able to, like, I would have not been able to give myself that pat on the back. Mm. And I think that's so, I mean, gosh, what a great gift to have and what a great, thing to be able to do and what I would wish for every young woman is to to be able to say yeah I'm making a scary choice 
but to be on your own side. It sounds like you were on your own side. You know what I mean? And I think I came up against myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I was ready to say, you're not doing this. You're not doing this right. Or like, everybody's going to hate you instead of right. the pat on the back. I had to remind myself to do it. Yeah. You know? I mean, there were, there were many times where I would just come home at the end of a long day, traipsing around New York City trying to get a job and, you know, just sit on my on my futon and cry, yeah. you know, and, and, and be scared and overwhelmed. And, and, um, but so it, you know, it was an effort to, to stop and look around and pat yourself on the back for, yeah. sh- for certain. Yeah. Um, did you have, know. were you like dating people and having to deal with all that scariness too at the time? Like, Oh, now I'm wondering if someone's going to call me and wondering if someone's going to call me with a job. And um, want, I know, was, like- I was living with my boyfriend. So nice. I wasn't dating in yeah. New York and he was incredibly supportive and, um, cause that's a lot. It would be, it's a lot to imagine being really young. And, oh, I can't imagine. Right? I was already dealing with being you 18, need that stabi- 19 that having in, in some New York stability and, and having that support. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. Yeah. There was not a lot of running around New York when I first got there. I mean, I was running around all day. So I was learning the city and on subways yeah. and, and all these things in my, you know, silly little high heels as a model right. running around you know, uncomfortably. Um, and so at night it was a lot of like renting movies from Blockbuster and eating sorbet. Oh yeah. And just chilling. Yeah. Cause it was so overwhelming during the yeah. day. I feel like that. I mean, it took me a while even just being here to not feel like, I mean, it's such a slower pace here, but just the sense of like putting, like putting on, putting on a personality all day right. that, it, that becomes so nice to just come home and watch movies and have, let somebody else do all the work for you. And I think that's what people, I mean, not just in our business, but like what gets hard about that is that you, we social, people can socialize less if they work all day and they're exhausted and they're using their brains. Or sometimes you're even more tired if you're not, if you have a job that you don't love, if you're a receptionist or, you know, mm. not that you can't love being a receptionist, but if you feel like you don't get to think enough or what mm. have you in whatever career, that's sometimes more exhausting than anything. But then you come home and it's hard to kind of, check in with yourself and and feel alive and vibrant and I don't know it's interesting to feel like I'm, I'm I'm I navigate like where I'm getting that and where I'm putting that energy out and where it makes most sense to and sometimes I give it all to one thing that didn't deserve it and then like the place that it should be with me in my home and my relationship if I've got nothing left I have to I always have to get better you know it just, yeah. it's like a constant it's thing to check in with yeah and and I think also uh in our business you know, so much of our work is about promoting uh, a project that we've been on or, or going to something. So we have to go out in the evening and then yeah. it sort of becomes a 24-7 job yeah. in Los Angeles when so many people are in the same business. And and if you just go to a dinner party, the next thing you know, it's like... You can't, there's no separation. <laughs> there's, there's no, no separation. separation. Yeah, because there's a director there that you worked with or, yeah. or a producer that, you know, or whatever it is. And, and so sometimes just staying home is the nicest, nicest thing yeah. in the world Yeah, to give yourself a break from, from all that and, you know, be a family and cook and... It sounds nice well. Stuff. It sounds like it just based on you know kind of the the experience you had in Idaho and the way you connect it to being home and that being really important and the way that you kind of check in with yourself through your relationships in your home environment. Um, that's kind of what keeps coming up for me as we're talking. That I would that I kind of feel like this for me. That's what this episode would be about a little bit. Is like 
that you're not going to like, you have to have that place to come back to, or you're not going to have the strength mm. and the energy to take risks or to believe in yourself or to go out there and face your own fear. And it sounds to me like you just seem so grounded in terms of like, you know, you had, this is the stability that you had. And then you found a way to represent that in your life as all of these crazy things that have been amazing and scary and, and well, hard I think, you and know, fun. My husband and my family and, I also have a tremendous group of friends in Los Angeles and, you know, they won't let me get away with anything too. You know, I check in with them because they're my best friends. They love me for who I am. They nurture me. And, um, you know, sometimes when, when the public or whoever it is, all these different people trying to say who you are or what you're supposed to be or redefine who you are, those are the people who know who you really are. Yeah. And so at, if at any moment you're like, wait, I can't do that because I'm not supposed to because someone said I wasn't right. supposed to. They're like, give me a break. You're you, you're you. That's what yeah. you do, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, for me, it's incredibly important. And my husband is, is amazing at that too. And him also being an actor and being in this business, you know, we have to do it for each other. Yeah. And um, yeah. be like, wait, don't get crazy. Yeah. You're a wonderful person. Don't let someone make you feel crazy. You know? And it feels so good to be able to be that support for someone else. Mm, you know, does. to feel it just feels great. If you don't have kids, if you don't want to have kids, if you do want, you don't have them yet. Any of that. As uh, women our age, like it's just nice to feel. I love caretaking in that way because it's not about me for a yeah. change. I mean, it's still selfish because it makes me feel good, but <laughs> it's nice to be like, oh, I really made someone else feel less crazy. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's great. That made me feel so good. Yeah. You know, I, I completely agree. I, I, I don't have children of my own, but, um, I definitely consider myself a nurturer and, and, and I think it's cause my mother is, is yeah. such a, a wonderful and tender woman. And, and so my husband and my friends, we all do that for one another and yeah. take care of each other when we need it and take turns, you know? Jump company. Oh, it's all good. It all goes it's back to jump, jump company, company full of friends is what you've got here. Is that <laughs> what are we about? Where are we? Perfect. Perfect. All right. We're going to wrap it up with that and say, uh, everybody, you just need to find your own jump company. That's right. And it doesn't have to be that group, but uh, find your support system and um, make sure to uh, be supportive of yourself because it's not always just about everybody else and what they think. And Christina, thank you so much for Thanks doing for this. Thanks for having this was me. Awesome. You're thank fantastic. You. Thank you. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported